I'd say the biggest kind of lesson that brands should take away from from this as a whole is just an activation and a specific focus on how you will activate in social is a is just an absolutely critical component these days. Hello and welcome to another special edition of the Schools Pro Podcast, looking at our 50 most marketable lists for 2021. This time, we're going to be breaking down the 50 most marketed brands. My name is Owen Connolly. I'm the editor at large at Sports Pro, and I'm delighted to be joined by Scott Tilton, the co-founder of Hook It, our data partner for the most marketed brands list. Hello, Scott. Hello. How are you? I am very well, thanks. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. That is great to hear. We've got plenty to dive into, uh, lots to be said and lots to be discovered about how brands are interacting with media, digital media especially, um, and what all that does to the marketing mix. The top five, I think it's worth breaking down uh, before we get any further. If you've not had a chance to see the list so far, it will be going out today as you're hearing this, but the top five brands, Nike, probably no surprises there, number one in the list, followed by Adidas, Emirates Airline, Santander, and Red Bull. Um, any surprises there for you, Scott, when you were delving into this? You know, I don't think so. I mean, Santander, um, it's always interesting to see them, you know, towards the top of the list, and Red Bull had quite a bit of movement this year as well, so they uh, broke into the top five. They were down a few slots last year, um so it kind of speaks to you know sports coming back and uh and just leveraging athletes but um but yeah red bull was a big mover that that came into the top five this year which was a uh a nice surprise to see well let's start with the the project itself the 50 most marketed brands list because you know people are, are familiar with the the most marketable athletes list i think this is uh we we've, we've done this a couple of times now this part of the project um, what purpose does the 50mm brands list serve? Yeah, so we, uh, you know, I look at the 50 most marketed brands. We look at over 8,000 brands total and are really looking at what are they getting or, you know, who's getting the most exposure and impact from their sports sponsorships from the athletes, teams and leagues and events across all sports, across all social media. And when you look at social media, it has just really exploded and completely transformed how sponsorships are bought and how they're activated. Um, even when you look at compared to five years ago, um, athletes, teams, and leagues now have billions of followers and drive tremendous value for brands just via the content that they're posting and sharing. And the 50 most marketed brands has really become a phenomenal benchmark for the industry to use, especially this year with the inclusion, because we added uh, the top 10 brands across a number of different industries. Uh, so it's a way for brands to compare themselves to their competitors and really just understand which brands are getting the most out of their sports partnerships and investments. And in part, the list really does reflect which brands are spending the most in sports. Uh, and, you know, the brands with partner partnerships with the top teams, leagues and athletes, you know, they obviously require significant investment, but that's really what drives the value for these brands. Um, and I think finally, it's it's really a reflection of which sports are driving the value. Uh, every brand in the top 50 is heavily invested in one or more of four primary sports. So global football, motorsports, basketball and cricket. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's really just a way for brands to benchmark themselves and compare 
how they're performing against competitors, against peers, and really finding best practices on how they can improve value from their partnerships in social media. Mm. I mean, I think you, you hinted at a couple of things there, but before we kind of go under the bonnet, as it were, and, and start looking at the methodology and, and maybe uh, getting into some of the, the deeper trends in the list, what, what does it say what, in its totality? What does it say about the industry more widely? You know, I think um, the industry more widely, especially this year compared to last year, uh, clearly there were a lot of events that got put on hold. Uh, there was, you know, a lot of seasons weren't complete last year. So there was a lot of movement this year. And I think social media as a whole has just grown tremendously. Uh, with sports shutting down last year, we saw just a lot of movement with the way that brands were activating their partnerships. And it, it really put a focal on, on social media and sponsorship and, uh, and leveraging the reach and impact that these partners have. And I think more than anything, it, it, there were two things that really happened last year with COVID. Uh, the first being that every partnership was up for evaluation and the structure of all of these partnerships had changed pretty dramatically in the sense that uh, with no events, how else can we derive value from, from a partner? Uh, so that resulted in social media just becoming probably the primary channel that the industry was using as a way to add value, uh, do make goods, and uh, really just use it as the primary value driver in the whole sponsorship equation. So the industry has evolved, you know, really significantly when in our world from sponsorship, from measurement, from activation, uh, the whole industry has really evolved in the last 18 months as a result, primarily from COVID. And it's, uh, it's put everybody into a different mindset in terms of how they're going to negotiate, how they're going to activate and uh, really add value moving forward. And I think we might reflect a little bit on, on how that's changed the way that the list has been composed as well but let's let's start with the basics well, how, what was the methodology here what was uh, what was being measured uh, to put these brands in this order yeah so for this analysis we looked exclusively at promotion of brands across social media so we looked at platforms like facebook instagram twitter youtube weibo vk twitch and tiktok uh you know, our whole view on things is that social media just has way more data available than any other sponsorship marketing channel and allows brands to really activate and optimize their campaigns in real time rather than, you know, waiting for mid-season or end-of-season reports. Brands are really able to get out in front of things and, and use the data in a much more strategic way to get more predictive in how they're kind of planning their campaigns and, and really leveraging social uh, so from a methodology standpoint, we uh, analyzed all those platforms and the data this year includes uh, promotion from every professional athlete, team, league, and event properties. Uh, events are, weren't included last year just because we wanted to keep things apples to apples and there were some sports and leagues that were able to run events and some that weren't. Uh, so yeah, events were included in the methodology this year. And the values are entirely derived from how are brands being promoted in social content. So we look at all photos, all videos, uh, even text for just tweets. And uh, our valuation methodology is one that we've really uh, derived and, and really refined with our brand partners. So we call it an adjusted ad value model. And the way the, the methodology works is that we start with a max ad value. 
Uh, so once we flag a post as having promotion of a brand, and again, we're looking for text-based promotion, like hashtags, mentions, keywords, uh, but then we're also looking for visual promotion as well. So we're uh, looking for logos and branded content. And once we flag a post as having promotion of a brand, we assign what we call a max ad value to it. And the max ad value is using uh, executed rates that we source from a third party on what brands and agencies are actually spending on their social campaigns. So that's our starting point is that we assume it's an ad and what would it have cost to get that level of engagement if you were to have to pay for it? Uh, but then from there, we get very strict in terms of how we score the quality of promotion. So factors that we look at are things like the size and clarity of logos. Uh, we look at competition and crowding. So is it a deliberate post for a brand where there's a single mention or hashtag or are there multiple brands being promoted? So that's both for text and visual. Um, and then when it comes to videos, we look at uh, the timing of the exposure. So if a video has 100,000 views, as an example, and the exposure happened at the very end, we don't assume all 100,000 people saw it. So we really look at the timing of the exposure um, and all of that you know, scoring methodology gets factored into what we call a promotion quality score. It's a zero to 100% score. And that's how we downweight from the max ad value to an adjusted ad value. And the rankings are all based on adjusted ad value. So it's a downweighted value based on the quality of the promotion of all of the content that's being posted out there. And in and, and what ways has that been refined this year? You, you mentioned factoring in some of the events that, that perhaps weren't able to be completed uh, because of the pandemic, but what are some of the other adjustments you've made and, and what does that say um, about the way things are changing in the industry? Yeah, so I think uh, there wasn't a tremendous amount of changes in the valuation methodology. We had uh, one kind of change that I'll get to in a little bit, uh, but primarily uh, the big changes that we saw this year were that league and event partnerships have really made a comeback. Uh, last year, it was primarily driven by teams and athletes, uh, but with sports coming back and just, you know, full seasons at play, uh, we've seen the biggest impact and biggest movement from the league and event side of things. Um, yeah. And again, last year we didn't include events because they weren't happening for in most cases, half the year, if not more. And then this year with uh, the Euros and the Olympics among a bunch of others uh, who were able to complete full seasons, events are really back. And, and those, you know, partners have really, uh, the partners of those events and leagues have really benefited um, other kind of big changes that we've seen are uh, 36 of the top 50 from last year carried over to this year, uh, but there were 14 new brands that came into the top 50 this year. And really the, the big kind of call out is really Dream 11. They're an Indian fantasy sports company that was founded in uh, 2008. Uh, but overall, when you look at that type of movement with 14 new brands out of 50, that's nearly a 30% turnover in the uh, brands from the prior year. So yeah, there's just a tremendous amount of movement. And I think the inclusion of events has, uh, has really kind of shaken things up this year. Hold that thought on Dream 11, because I think we're going to uh, reflect on them a little bit in a few moments time. But let's start, let's start pulling out some names from the list. Uh, we'll begin at the top, why don't we, with Nike and Adidas. What is this showing us? What what are they doing well, first of all, because they're enormous brands and they're involved in everything. And I think we will kind of um, start to unravel some of that as we go. But but what are the things that they're doing particularly effectively? Yeah, so Nike and Adidas or Adidas are really benefiting from the sheer breadth of their partnerships. 
they're you know significantly more than other brands. Uh, they're also getting a lot of promotion from thousands of athletes who aren't technically official partners, but still promote the brand due to the kind of larger team partnerships, if you will. So as an example, uh, Cristiano Ronaldo, he's a, a Nike athlete, uh, but when he posts a picture of himself in his new Manchester United jersey, which is an Adidas team, um, Adidas still gets a lot of incidental exposure and value from that content that is receiving, you know, in a lot of cases, millions and millions of engagements. So that's really where the, the network effect and impact comes in from those team partnerships. Uh, but overall, I mean, Nike and Adidas are clearly huge spenders in sport. Uh, they're very diversified in terms of they work with teams, they work with leagues, they both have like enormous athlete rosters. So they're just very, you know, well represented across all of sport. And they are always kind of the standout when it comes to kind of overall value and promotion, you know, via, via the, the industry. Uh, so that's really how kind of those two benefit the most. Uh, just literally their sheer breadth of their investment and involvement with so many different athletes, teams, leagues, and event properties. Mm. I mean, one of the things that strikes me about that, yeah, as you say, it, it's the depth of it. And it's the fact that it's, you know, you have the the top level campaigns that will be devoted to the sponsorship, whether that's of a team or of a competition, the endorsement deals, the official endorsement deals with athletes, but then it's kind of woven into every part of an athlete's story. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. I think, uh, you know, that Ronaldo example is always a really interesting one uh, because we did a comparison a while ago uh, looking at Ronaldo and Messi and Messi is actually an Adidas athlete, you know, or was it is at, or at the time and Ronaldo was driving more value for Adidas incidentally via his kit um, than Messi was on his own, you know, doing it deliberately. Uh, but even going back to, you know, both of these two, when we look at the top events of 2021, so the Euros and the Olympics really stand out. Um, I mentioned kind of earlier how social has just really exploded and uh, Tokyo saw an 11x increase in total fan engagement from the Rio Olympics. So that's just like massive growth and massive engagement. And both Nike and Adidas had, you know, major presence in both of those events with their team partnerships in the Euros and NOC partnerships in the Olympics. So, you know, they really, they were also the top two brands during the Olympics, which isn't really a surprise, but they beat out every other IOC TOP sponsor. Mm -hmm. uh, I think when we look at the list as well, you know, it's kind of surprising to see only four apparel and accessory brands in the top 50. So we had eight last year, uh, but brands like Under Armour, which was number 41 last year, dropped all the way to 90 this year. So they didn't make the top 50. Uh, but it really just demonstrates how much of an advantage the leading players like Nike, Adidas, Puma, all of which are in the top 10, just the dominance that they have in the marketplace. Yeah. And the other thing for for those three, particularly, is this crossover with culture, which I suppose comes into, you know, comes into it as a factor much more when you're talking about social media, and particularly when you're talking about the individual uh, and their ability to to drive awareness of of a brand you know they they're all very active in the music space they're all very active whether officially or otherwise in in other parts of uh of pop culture how significant do you think that is um to to their position here yeah so i think uh it's a great point and you know a lot of brands not just them but uh have really kind of expanded their influencer marketing and 
have really tapped into really kind of niche categories that still drive a lot of awareness and engagement. So beyond sport, you know, music, fashion, even things like cooking and uh, there's like pretty finite categories now where there's some really powerful influencers. And we've even seen things in like functional fitness, uh, which is kind of by far the fastest growing and, and uh, kind of most engaged category right now. So these fitness instructors and influencers have, have really helped move the needle for these, for these brands. Uh, the 50 most marketed list is all sport. So we didn't factor in that kind of broader promotion in some of those other categories. So this is really just looking at sport. Uh, but those types of kind of strategies and activations have, have certainly come into play and have helped these brands become a lot more culturally relevant, you know, outside of just sport when that's really kind of what's in their DNA. Yeah. And if you think of yeah, stuff like uh, product placement in movies that Nike do and the Back to the Future sneakers, which I think I saw someone wearing the other day. Um, I can't remember which athlete it was who who spent a lot of money yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, getting the kind of self-tying laces um, or Adidas's stuff with, with Lego and what have you. And, you know, it depends, I suppose, on the athlete and, and their involvement um, in, in these parts of the culture, if they're into gaming, if they're into into whatever, and there's an overlap there. But yeah, it is, it is certainly a factor that seems to affect those brands or certainly implicates those brands a lot more than than any others. Um, is there anything else that their their particular stories tell us? Yeah, I think it, it comes down to kind of sheer dominance. I mean, they've been in the space and they're, they're historic legacy brands that, um, and I mean that in a positive way, that they've been so committed to sport for so long and they've always been at the forefront. And, um, but yeah, I mean, they're just such, it speaks to the power of the brand and what they've been able to do with yeah, their commitment to sports and their commitment to athletes and, um, you know, they've just really kind of separated themselves from the rest of the brands. And, and, um, and the IOC example is a, is a good one where, you know, you, you see, um, you know, only two of, uh, the IOC TOP sponsors have really kind of even made the list. So, um, or at least the top 10. So it's, um, yeah, it just speaks to the power of strategic planning and thinking of, of how they look at sports in general. Um, let's look at, you mentioned them a little earlier. I think the highest new entry in at number nine is Dream Eleven. Interesting for two reasons: one, because they've uh, crashed into the list in that way, but also um, I'm looking here at the number of promoters, and they seem to have among the lowest number of promoters on the list. But they've managed this extraordinary reach in the past year. Of course, they are a sponsor of the Indian Premier League uh, cricket tournament, which I'm sure drives a lot of that. But what what can you tell us? What what do we think is going on there with Dream Eleven that they've managed to create this kind of awareness in the past year? Yeah, I think um, you mentioned the number of promoters, which is also really a part of the methodology as well. Um, so there's a couple of factors that drive you know the overall value for these brands and the number of, of partners or promoters that are actually posting on their behalf and including promotion of the brand is a, a really key one. Uh, but then it's also the amount of engagement on the posts that they're making, as well as the promotion quality for the brands within those posts. Uh, but you hit the nail on the head. Uh, it speaks to the power of cricket. Uh, Dream 11, they're the title sponsor of the IPL and the fantasy app for the, for the league. And uh, it just drives you know, significant engagement. And despite having a relatively low number of promoters, they uh, really just kind of rose to the top 
and it's not too dissimilar to uh, what Santander has been able to do. They have the naming rights partnership with La Liga and has uh, pushed them into the top three both this year and last year. So it's not always the sheer number of promoters. It's the engagement on the posts that they do get. And when you're aligned with uh, leagues like the IPL and La Liga, who just drive tons and tons of engagement, if the promotion quality is there, then they'll get substantial value out of out of that partnership. And those are two kind of standouts. And you know, Dream Eleven, they're a relatively new company. I mean, they were founded in 2008, I believe, and um, and I believe they're also the first you know official unicorn coming out of India. So it's uh, they've just done a tremendous job and. And uh, you're going to see a lot more of that where you've got, you know, these fantasy and financial and uh, where these brands are really investing heavily in sport and they're going to reap some really large rewards and, and value from those partnerships. It's almost in, in those two cases, we talked about the network effect with Nike and Adidas, but this is just a few very well chosen partnerships and particularly in Dream Eleven's case where there is that gaming uh, or game playing aspect to it through the, the fantasy element that means that people are always going to be involved socially with their product which is going to going to see that kind of level of engagement rise yep yeah exactly on the subject of santander there are a few financial services telecoms energy brands uh companies that you would say are not intrinsic to the story of the sport itself in the way that you know a sportswear brand is going to be or um, even to an extent, kind of food and beverage uh, or entertainment brand is going to be. Um, but they're there and they have managed to, to to generate some engagement with the content that they're putting out on uh, on social platforms. What are, what are some of the keys that we're seeing there? Well, how are they connecting with um, the interest that people have in sport and, and the desire they have to share things uh, about the sports that they love? Yeah, so it's it's really a mix for the different sectors that we look at. Uh, apparel brands, you know, perhaps they spend you know the most money across sport and are are very aggressive on the activation front. But outside of Nike, Adidas, Puma, um, they really haven't been as dominant this year. So when you look at a lot of the other brands, it's really about uh, strategic partnerships and goes back to which sports are driving the most value and. When you look at motorsports as, as an example, they're number two in terms of as a category, they have tremendous uh, potential for driving value. So it's no real surprise that there's a lot of automotive brands uh, that are kind of biggest in the sector and have made, you know, a, a, a bunch have made the top 50 as uh, they're considered endemic, but they're not only focused on motorsports, they're also uh, heavily invested in some cases, the Olympics and a lot of other kind of sport categories as well. Um, when we look at, you know, the financial brands, they're heavily invested across global football. A lot of them are, uh, kit sponsors and you look at basketball, same type of thing with, you know, state farm with the NBA. Uh, those are kind of two of the biggest sports and they really benefit from that. Um, and then we also saw, you know, when we look at kind of the connection and engagement, uh, beverage brands as a whole, you know, have received over a hundred million dollars in sponsorship, sponsorship value from just four different sports, which is more than any other sector. So that diversity is really key for them. Um, we also see beverage brands like Red Bull who have you know, heavily invested in athletes and are also exceptional at producing amazing content. Uh, so that consistently kind of pushes them towards the top of the rankings as well. So 
it's really just a diverse mix and, and, you know, aligning with partners that are across categories to really drive that fan engagement and that fan connection, uh, combined with really good top quality content. And there are a couple of brands that are, they're kind of on the, in the, in the middle of the Venn diagram when it comes to endemic and, and non-endemic brands, I guess, in sport, um, in PlayStation and electronic arts, uh, in the gaming space, you know, they're obviously both involved with esports to an extent. They're also official titles of, or in EA's case, official titles of, um, of a lot of major sports leagues. Why are those two rising above the rest when it comes to that? Is it, is it the, the choice of partnerships again, particularly, I suppose, in PlayStation's case, they're a, a partner of the Champions League, which is, you know, a global global competition effectively these days with, uh, but with significant local relevance. Yeah, you know, gaming in general has, you know, really exploded as well over the years and, um, and more so, you know, not only on Twitch and, you know, the esports side of things, but just sheer gaming and console play has been, you know, a, a staple for a number of years. And um, I think it goes back to looking at how they've really aligned with very specific sports. Uh, so, yeah, you mentioned uh, PlayStation with Champions League and then um, EA Electronic Arts has, you know, their FIFA title and Madden title. So they're just, you know, they create titles that are just very aligned with sports that people that happen to have a ton of fans and have really been able to kind of extend that fan engagement into something that people can do every day. Mm. Uh, so yeah, just the promotion and, and engagement that they're able to generate from the gaming side of things um, within sports that already drive a tremendous amount of engagement anyway, I think is what really kind of separates them from from some of the others. And, and they've been able to really capitalize on aligning their best top selling titles with the, the biggest sports and that's, um, you know, has just resulted in tremendous engagement around those brands. Yeah, and driving some of the conversation as well that fans are having around those sports. I mean, this is the time of the year when uh, the Madden NFL and, and FIFA titles come out. You start to see not just fans, but players get involved in the conversation about, oh, my rating is this much or, you know, <laughs> and and kind of some encouragement of that conversation, which I think is is quite interesting. Um Okay, we're going to take a quick break there. When we come back, we'll have a look at some of the deeper trends in the list and some of the things that people who are in the brand business uh, can take from it. Back in a sec. Hello, I'm Matt Rogan. I've spent my career creating and scaling businesses in sports and entertainment. And now I'm talking to smart leaders inside and outside sport to get their ideas on managing change and building towards a better future. You can listen in on the Playbook podcast, a collection of candid, agenda-free conversations full of practical advice your company can work with. Get your new episodes right here on the Sports Pro feed and check out the rest of the series wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Sports Pro podcast, looking at the most marketed brands for 2021. Uh, Scott, what are some of the deeper trends? We looked at some brands and some sectors specifically there in the first part, but what are some of the deeper trends that we can discern from the list? Yeah, so I touched on it a little bit earlier, but at the end of the day, there's a few key global sports that are driving basically a majority of the value for top brands. 
So every one of the top 50 brands gets a significant portion of their value from one or more of four kind of core sports. So global football, motorsports, basketball, and cricket. And collectively, those four drive about 75% of the total value that we saw in the 50 most marketed. Uh, global football just being the clear standout and most dominant, driving 44% of the total value and over $4 billion in AAV for the brands in the top 50. So, uh, and that was followed by motorsports, which is driving uh, a little over 1.2 billion and about 13% of the value. But again, those four sports drive 75% of the total value, just making them, you know, the clear standouts for the uh, 50 most marketed. I mean, that I suppose gives rise to a couple of questions. One of which is, do you pursue those sports because there's that kind of potential value, potential audience there? Or do you start thinking, start worrying about getting lost in the clutter, what effect does that have on your strategy uh, when it comes to the partnerships that you're pursuing in those in those sports? Yeah, so uh, global football, basketball, they uh, clearly are drive the most kind of fan reach and fan engagement. Uh, but motorsports is an interesting one. I mean, F1 is clearly a, a huge property. Um, but what we see in motorsports is even though the the following of the sports themselves might be smaller than that of global football or basketball. Uh, there's just a tremendous amount of engagement, meaning that the, the fans are more engaged in motor, motor sport. So they're able to still drive a tremendous amount of value with fewer fans, uh, but they drive those fans are more engaged. Uh, so I think you, yeah, you mentioned clutter and being lost. Um, it gets back to brands having to be extremely thoughtful about, how do they align with those partners and make sure that they're breaking through the noise uh, when there is that many, that large of a following and that much reach and impact that can be generated. So uh, it gets all back to sponsorship strategy and how do you activate as effectively as possible to break out from other brands that are also heavily invested in those categories. Mm. What are some of the other things that you noticed uh, when you, when you were pulling this together and, and kind of taking a, a step back from the list? Um, yeah, so it you know value rises to the top for sure. Uh, similar to last year, the top fifty brands received nearly fifty percent of the total sponsorship value for all eight thousand brands that we tracked. Uh, so that's obviously huge. You know, so fifty out of eight thousand drove you know or received fifty percent of the value. Um, yeah, again, the event and league partnerships you know made a huge comeback this year. So Dream Eleven, as we mentioned, coming into the top ten. Uh, the top three brand kind of sport partnerships by total sponsorship value and AAV uh, generated were all leagues promoting their official sponsor. So such as La Liga promoting Santander and I touched on F1, but they were the top promoter for nine brands in the top 50. Uh, UEFA was the top promoter for eight brands and the NBA was the top promoter for seven brands. So together, those 24, uh, together or 24 total brands uh, those leagues accounted for nearly half of the value for the top 50. Mm. Um, and then one surprise that we did kind of notice was really, uh, we were a bit surprised not to see more IOC TOP sponsors on the list, even though the Olympics were included in the date range. So at the moment, there's only two IOC TOP sponsors that made the top 50, uh, Toyota and Samsung. Uh, however, with that said, there's still more time because the Olympics had ended you know, just right as we were uh, compiling all the data and the Paralympics hadn't started yet. 
So we expect to see uh, a lot more of those sponsors really benefit in next year's rankings after Beijing. Mm, yeah, of course, there is the, the kind of compound effect of there being another Olympics in six months, having had quite a long stretch, Yep, uh, a longer than usual one because of the delay um, before. But what what are you seeing below the 50? Are you seeing any kind of knock-on effect of some of the things that you're talking about with uh, the power of associations with some of those events or some of those leagues, you know, are you, are you seeing a, 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 a rising tide effect maybe on, on some of the brands who are associated with teams in those competitions? Are you, is there any kind of correlation there at all? Or was, is there anything else that you would point to? Because you've seen that data and of course the rest of us haven't. Yeah. So, you know, I think it's the same, uh, kind of trends that we're seeing with events and leagues is happening much deeper down the list, especially when you get into more endemic sports. Um, so that was really the biggest change that we noticed this year compared to last year. And um, so that's why we included, which you'll find on, on sports pro is we did the top 10 per industry as well. And uh, that way it kind of goes deeper beyond just the top 50 where you'll see a lot of the, kind of the common brands that you would expect to see at the top of the list. But when you start getting into specific categories, uh, we, we have provided that data this year to be able to get a, kind of a deeper sense of the top 10 by industry as well. Um, but yes, yeah, so I'd say that, you know, athletes or brands that are focused on athletes also tend to trend pretty well because they get a, a lot more entities that are out there promoting the brand. Uh, but I would say that the kind of event and league element this year was really kind of the biggest driver of, of change from uh, from last year. And that had was pretty consistent all the way down the list as well. Mm. You know, it's, a, it's an interesting macro exercise for all of us to, to have a look at lists like this and, and work out what's going on from from way up above. But if you're working on the brand side or you're working with an agency uh, that serves brands. What are some of the things that you would take from this list? What are some of the lessons that that you'd look to apply from it? Yeah, I think uh, the list is really best used for benchmarking purposes. And um, if you're in the top ten in your industry, you'll be able to see how you compare against your peers. If not, you'll be able to you know see see who you're behind, as well as um, kind of glean best practices and really see what what those brands are doing really well. Uh, I'd say the biggest kind of lesson that brands should take away from from this as a whole is just that activation and a specific focus on how you will activate in social is a is just an absolutely critical component these days. You know, for brands that are making the largest investments, simply signing the deal doesn't really get you know you enough incidental exposure to get into the top fifty per se. Um, you know, so thinking of like your top jersey partners and the biggest kind of global football brands but the brands that really want to maximize roi it's all about activation and what we call deliberate promotion so when you look at the ioc top sponsors there's only two in the top 50 and several aren't even in the top 1000 so in some cases they're spending hundreds of millions of dollars on long-term partnerships and um and not really benefiting from the, the Olympics, which reaches 1.6 billion cumulative fans. So the potential is there, but from what we saw, the, there was a lack of kind of strategic activation for those brands to really move up and make it onto the list. Mm. And when you look at kind of the deeper metrics, um, every brand has their own focus, but uh, in our world, promotion quality is key. 
So we really encourage brands to work with their partners and coach them on what content is most important to them and how they want their brand to be represented. Um, on the partner side, we see a lot of what we call incidental promotions. So there might be a logo and a drop and a backdrop. There could be a logo on a kit. Uh, but when you really get a lot more deliberate and you promote a single brand and a post with a specific hashtag or mention that helps the brand really stand out, making small adjustments like that can really help uh, partners optimize their content and value for brands. And uh, so we, again, come back to how often are you promoting brands? What's the quality of how you're promoting them? And how are you driving the engagement with your fan base? And that's really what moves the needle these days. Yeah, and of course, different brands are going to have different priorities for some of their sponsorships. I suppose there are some IOC top sponsors who are moving more into that B2B space. It's a, it's a kind of demonstration of, of capability as, uh, as much as it is a push for brand awareness but if you are in that if, if that is what what's driving uh your decision to to sponsor then you have to have a really good sense of, of how you're going to make that effect yeah just taking a step beyond that what what are some of the metrics that you would see as being especially valuable to pay attention to whether they've gone into the assessment of of this list or um or the composition of this list or whether they are ones that people can can work from on a, on a kind of day-to-day -day basis? Yeah, so I, I touched on a number of them already, but um, really looking at, you know, what's the number of promoters? So how, how many different entities out there in sport are really promoting the brand? Um, and then getting beyond that is, again, back to how frequently are, be, are you being promoted? So how many posts have you been in? Um, what's the quality of those posts and really how deliberate is it? And most of our time these days is spent on, on helping brands understand, uh, like what, what are each of their different partners doing for them? And we're finding every sponsorship agreement typically is unique and there's not a kind of one size fits all where we're expecting X number of posts from each of our different partners. Um, a lot of that stuff is negotiated on a case by case basis. So it's difficult to, you know, have a across the board expectation from your partners. But when you are negotiating expectations and and uh, obligations into an agreement, it's important to know not just uh, how often you want them to post, but being thoughtful and strategic about which platforms you want them to post on. Um, as an example, you know, Instagram was was the largest driver of value uh, within the of all the platforms, and that's not always the case where sometimes you have a team or a league that might drive more engagement on Facebook as an example. Uh, so be thoughtful about where do you want these partners to post based on where the audience is and where the engagement actually happens. So that's a kind of a really critical piece. And then at the end of the day, I've talked through this a bunch um, during the podcast, but really looking at the promotion quality. So how do you want your brand to be represented? Uh, do specific deliberate campaigns with your most important partners and and make sure that there's not other brands being promoted in the same content. And that'll help kind of make things a lot more deliberate and really a lot more valuable to you as a brand. This obviously is it's very much a snapshot of uh, of the market as it is now in, uh, where are we, September 2021. Um, but were there any seeds of future trends that you were able to identify? Is there anything, whether it's in the 50 or in the the list of industry 10s or even 
kind of the iceberg below the tip that we're we're seeing the 8,000 brands that you were looking at were there any trends kind of that you could see emerging in in the future that that might have uh, an, an impact on the market and on potentially on the composition of a list like this yeah absolutely I think um, you know there's probably going to be a lot more movement with the kind of betting and gambling category um, in the top 50 this year there were two uh, brands that made the list and last year there was only one so the category as a whole really saw the largest year-over-year increase in total sponsorship value it was more than double the value that was received compared to the same time period last year uh, the only other category that saw anywhere near that type of growth was the telecom category with 72 percent growth so um so yeah i think and especially with the regulations easing up here in the states and uh, there's been a lot of data that's already been shared around the nfl which the season had really just started um i think that's going to continue to be a, a huge player um and there's going to be a lot more brands that are going to start investing in into sports sponsorship and um and they're going to benefit from the impact that they get out of that um uh, Additionally, I think uh, fintech is an expanding category, which includes payment companies and crypto. Um, so companies and brands like Paytm and um, they we saw in the top 50 this year, we're very likely to see uh, additional crypto brands coming into the top 50 over the next few years. And perhaps not in 2022, but given the investments that you're seeing in um, sports like F1, there's crypto brands like FTX, Crypto.com, and Socios that are making huge investments. And um, so it's only a matter of time before we see them start to come into the fold, given the categories that they're investing in. And finally, I think really the Olympic partners that um, didn't make the list this year um, because we have two Olympics back to back and just really the timing of the window that we analyzed with the uh, kind of final data poll being on August 15th and, um, you know, right after the games ended and the Paralympics were still going on and, um, you know, and with the Winter Olympics right around the corner, I think we're going to see a lot of those Olympic partners that uh, didn't fully make the list and benefit from the full exposure and and, uh, and activation of the Olympics are going to really come into play next year in a much more meaningful way. And on the, on the other side of things, on the uh, consumer behavior side, the media side, when you think about the work that goes into building this list and, and, and creating this picture of the industry, what are some of the ways in which you think your job would change over the next few years uh, when you're trying to make sense of all that? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, we work with over a hundred global brands and, and support them on strategy and, and how do they really capitalize on social media? Um, People tend to like rankings because it helps them understand kind of where they where they fit in the broader marketplace and against competitors and peers. And um, so, yeah, I think it's how do you turn the dials to, uh, you know, one, get more value out of existing partners? How do you grow your partner base? And the goal really is how do you get more ROI and impact, um, you know, with, you know, not a lot of additional investment. So I think most of our time is spent on kind of the strategy side of how do we turn the dials with our existing partners and and just squeeze more value uh, without having to make a lot of additional investment. So I think the industry as a whole is going to continue to evolve really rapidly. Uh, we've talked about Spontech for years and uh, we're not there yet where you can actually you know compare it to categories like ad tech and martech and 
and know that if you put a dollar in, you get $2.50 back. Uh, sponsorship as a, as a marketing channel has a long way to go to get to that point. But with the data that's available and machine learning and AI, um, people are going to get a lot smarter about how they're making these investments and, and how they're going to really align you know, and structure deals with these partners to get the most value out of the investment that they're making. So uh, it's a fascinating space to be in. We, we love it. We've been working in sponsorship and tech for 20 years now and, and just watching the industry evolve. And uh, we've probably seen the most evolution in the past three to five years. And I feel like we're really just at the beginning of it right now. And, and um, you know, it's going to be exciting to see where we're at in 2025 and 2030, where, you know, data is going to be king and everyone's going to come into negotiations fully prepared and understanding what worked, what didn't work. And um, I think the structure of these partnerships is going to get a lot tighter over the next uh, five to 10 years. Okay, well, so much change, so much to look ahead to. There is also a lot to look at on sportspromedia.com, which is where you'll find the list uh, this week as I'm speaking. The full portal, SportsPro 50 most marketable portal can be found at 50mm.sportspromedia.com. You'll find uh, not just all the lists that we've discussed here and also the athletes and and properties lists um, as they emerge, but lots of data to play around with and and lots of other coverage uh, and analysis to get your teeth into there. So it becomes highly recommended, 50mm.sportspromedia.com. Scott, thank you very much for your time and... uh, Congratulations on all your efforts in, in drawing all this together again for us. No, very much appreciated. We love doing it together with you guys and, um, you know, excited to see the response that we get this year. It was a, a huge hit last year, so we'll, we'll see where we get to. Okay, and uh, thanks to all of you for listening. We'll be back with you again very soon. Bye-bye. Sports Pro Podcast is published by Sports Pro Media.